Welcome back. Le oh. Chateau d'Arborescence. Arborescence. Le Chateau. It's been fun to infuse a little French into our thing, huh? Oh, man. I, I, I hesitate to call us using French. Like, I don't know. What if a French person heard this and like... Oh, pure offense. <laughs> just murder us for our accents. Yeah. Or if they could even understand what we were trying to say. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. Yeah. We could probably dip our toes into any language and we're going to offend anyone. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's just like us in the active process of classing down Le Chateau de Arborescence. Yeah, we take something nice and we make it really <laughs> ugly. How can we take something beautiful and make it ashes? Yeah. We just make it real. We just make it real. Yeah. But we've trained ourselves to be okay with that in our yeah. own lives. Huh? Yeah. 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 Welcome back. So here we are. Here we are. Who we got on the docket today? Man, we got Neil Weintraub. This yeah. is a great one. It is. It is. There's some good stories that come out. Neil's got, Neil's just chock full of anecdotes, right? Yeah. Right at the end. Yeah. Just to give a little sneak peek. Drips into the shady underbelly of Flagstaff in the mid-1980s. Yeah, with uh, shaky drakes. <laughs> shaky drakes. Shaky drakes. I mean, how can a place be called shaky drakes yeah. and not not be uh, nefarious in some way? Yeah, some sort of front for like a laundering kind of thing or yeah. something, huh? Yeah. yeah. Who knows what shaky drakes was really yeah. about? Well, and we barely cracked the door to that, yeah. but I'm hoping we can get to the bottom of it. Yeah, I think for future, if we ever to develop a uh, like a Flagstaff history cast or something, pod, mm-hmm. I think that we could go into that seedy underbelly and mm-hmm. see what we can find. Man, that might be fascinating. <laughs> of course, it might result in our homes being burned down as well, but <laughs> it could be fun. <laughs> It'd be totally worth it. <laughs> totally worth it. Yeah, Just yeah. uncovering all of this, yeah, shady history. <laughs> from from 35 years ago. Yeah. I just want to sit across from someone and be like, so tell me about Shaky Drakes. Yeah. <laughs> tell me, did yeah. they do the stump grinder at Shaky Drakes? <laughs> yeah, which was popularized at Maloney's, and maybe its origin was actually Shaky Drakes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? Maloney's was yeah. the resurgence of the stump grinder. <laughs> the stump grinder. Man, you might be onto something. <laughs> something might have evolved all the way, and we were just at Maloney's hanging out, and they're stump grinding and having everywhere. Yeah. Really, this legend. Yeah. Yeah, you guys yeah. thought that you were bringing the new thing to flag. Nah, Little man. did you know that uh, the stump grinder goes way back to shaky man. drakes and the seedy underbelly of Flagstaff Flag in the mid 1980s. <laughs> yeah, dude. So we'll have to get someone to confirm or deny whether the stump grinder developed out of shaky drakes. <laughs> yeah. Maybe shaky drakes was a synonym for the stump yeah. grinder. And if you can count on two people to get to the bottom of it, yeah, it's us. <laughs> nice and Daniel. Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll be there. We'll capably get to the bottom of this story yeah some less good than average yeah. journalism yeah right yeah so look forward to the loose reference to shaky drakes in yeah. this episode and then who are we going who are we going yeah. to be on flag with no doubt so we're going to be on flag with neil weintraub a local flagstaff legend yeah and not just from reporting uh or repeating routes on his own strava right mm-hmm. neil landed flagstaff in the early 80s after attending college in iowa he worked at the museum of northern arizona prior to landing a job with the National Forest, where he worked and retired from recently after a 30-year career. Yeah, that's that's saying something. 30 years for the National Forest. No doubt. Much of his work with the National Forest uh, was dedicated to preserving indigenous sites and restoring land sites here in northern Arizona. Yeah, and it's cool to learn more about those yeah. in, in one-on-one detail. So he worked as an archaeologist there for the Forest Service, and beyond that work, uh, he's the founder of... Northern Arizona Trail Runners Association. 
often referred to as Natra. Yeah, and that's where you get the name Natra Neil. Natra Neil. Natra Neil, though. Yeah. I, I, I wanted to ask him why he didn't use the word antiques in that acronym. Yeah, so, that's a good point. Yeah. And Trail Runners Antiques Association. Still could yeah. have kept the, uh, yeah. The antiques. He, yeah. Uh, yeah, which was, he, he references Natra being modeled after this other run group that he saw as a, as a kid and admired. Yeah, the yeah. antiques. Great name. Yeah. So as uh, the founder of Natra, he organizes weekly group runs on Saturday mornings. He's doubling up on those now, so he's doing yeah. long, long runs. And he also acts as a race director for various trail races that bring together hundreds of runners for not only great time on the trails but or partying afterwards, which he, he does, <laughs> but also to raise funds for Flagstaff Big Brothers and Big Sisters, raise tens of thousands of dollars every year he does. Yeah. He, he does a staggering amount of work for Big Brothers, Big mm-hmm. Sisters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, and so you'll get a good, good glimpse into the partying mm-hmm. <laughs> aspect that mm-hmm. uh, accompanies his work as natural founder. Mm-hmm. Neil, I mean, truly one of a kind in his outgoing nature and willingness to give and contribute to something that he views greater in his own self. Mm-hmm. This was evident in being awarded the 2016 Arizona Daily Sun Citizen of the Year. Citizen of the Year. Yeah, and this is simple. I mean, it's evident in his work also, but like, I don't know how you felt, Dan, just sitting with Neil, like this, it's there. Yeah. Outgoing nature, giving, humility, all these things. Yeah, when we reference him being Citizen of the Year, he, he could not sit there. He was squirming away. Yeah, I think, what's the defense mechanism? Is it called deflection? Deflection, yeah. <laughs> deflection. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, sublimation. Yeah. A little sublimation in there. Yeah. yeah. A couple terms for everyone. Huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Such a great, humble guy. Yeah. So with that, we hope you all enjoy this interview as we go beyond flag with... Neil Weintraub. Welcome to Beyond Flag, a Beyond the Pines production, created by, with, and for the people of Flagstaff, building connection in the town we love. We are your hosts, Dr. Daniel J. Phillips, and Cody Bayless, also known as Dr. Chinchilla Nice Nice. Thanks for tuning in as we go Beyond Flag, straight from the dunny of our observatory. All right, Danny, we're in the Chateau L'Arborescence. Chateau L'Arborescence, I forgot, that's the title. That's who we are. And we're with a Flagstaff legend. Oh, man, <laughs> the fabric of Flagstaff right here. We are here with Natra Neil Weintraub. Neil, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. This is, uh, you got a beautiful setup here <laughs> on a hopefully beautiful and rainy day. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that might be a good disclaimer for our listeners is there's a very possible, a very uh, good chance that we might have some thunderstorms during this recording. How cool would that be? Uh, that'd be great. We yeah. needed the rain. So, Neil, just to pick up, I'd be really curious to hear a little bit about your life. We'll talk a little bit about your work with the Forest Service, right, as an archaeologist, um, and then your connection to running. So the thing I would be curious to start off with is where were you born and where were you raised? Yeah, I was born uh, in in New York City at Mount Sinai Hospital, right off Uh, the New York City Marathon course. Um, (laughs) That was before... That was before the marathon uh, hit the you know the streets of uh, Manhattan, um, but yeah, I was uh, we actually lived in the Forest Hills in Queens, uh, New York, right by uh, Shea Stadium, where I was a huge uh-huh. Mets fan. Uh, and then we uh, moved to the suburbs, Elmsford, New York, which was along the Hudson River, and then uh, ended up uh, in grade school and, and high school in um, Scarsdale, New York. Okay, um, 
just about 20 minutes north of the city. Okay, so you were growing up in New York. Dwight Gooden, huh? Uh, yeah, uh, well, he was actually, I'd already, I'd been, uh, I was in college when he came okay. out. And so uh, my idol was Tom Seaver, who had just passed Tom away Seaver. this year. Okay. Um, and so when Dwight Gooden came up, I was like, yeah, he's, he's never going to be, you know, Tom Seaver. Yeah. yeah. Um, he's and, no, you know, he, he was, Dwight was great, and then uh, he wasn't. So <laughs> He was no Tom Seaver. He was he no, no Tom, Tom Seaver. Seaver. Yeah, no doubt. So after New York, is how, I think I read somewhere that you went to college in Iowa. Right, right. That was, uh, I went to Grinnell College, uh, where I ended up an uh, anthropology major. Um, okay. And, and that was really what ended up getting me out here was the, my two professors, uh, Kathy Camp and John Whitaker, who are actually here now uh, as they've semi-retired. And uh, they've, they have they brought me out here on my field school in 1985. And so I experienced Flagstaff in the years that, you know, I would say it was a lot different back then. <laughs> um, but I fell in love with it that summer. And, uh, and, and then one thing led to another. I got an internship at the Museum of Northern Arizona and Kathy and John were doing another field school out here, so they gave me a free ride uh, back to Flagstaff in the summer of 86, and uh, one thing led to another, and I ended up in M&A for a couple of years, um, working contracts and, and traveling through the uh, Southwest, you know, going on really exciting projects, doing great archaeological surveys, and uh, but I always came back to my base at the chicken coops at the museum in Northern Arizona. <laughs> okay. I was living, lived almost two years. And, and that was what really, um, you know, solidified my love for the trails out here because back in those days I can run right from my chicken coop, right out to Eldon road or, you know, Schultz Creek. And, and those were my morning and evening runs, uh, back in the eighties. And, uh, boy, I, I fell in love with, uh, the forest up there in dry Lake Hills. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's uh, such an amazing place. You know, I was wondering how you got connected to running. It sounds like, did you grow up running? Yeah, no, Sound actually, like uh, I mean, I played soccer and baseball was my true love. Um, yeah. But, you know, running just kind of came naturally. But it was really uh, um, kind of a funny story. My next door neighbor uh, founded an, uh, a club, a running club called the Scarsdale Antiques. And they were men <laughs> over 50 and women over 40. Um, but they also put on a 15K uh, every year, the Scarsdale 15K, uh, which is now the Abe Simon Memorial uh, 15K. Abe was my mentor who one day was right after my parents got divorced, Abe, uh, who had four daughters, one, his daughter, Becky, who was my age, and uh, we were next door neighbors. And uh, Abe said, you want to come for a run with me and some of my friends? And so you can kind of see where the oranges of, of natural, you know, came out of. It was the Scarsdale uh -huh. Antiques Club. And in fact, it's a kind of a funny story. Uh, I, I saw an old shirt, an old antique shirt posted on uh, Facebook. Uh, a friend of mine had found it, took a picture. And I thought, you know, I never had one of those before. And so I went to Julie McCullough, who has her uh, shirt company here in town that's doing all the great work with the bicyclists and trying to raise money. Um, and Julia said, yeah, I can reproduce that. And so I ended up, you know, with some friends from high school. We put in together an order of 25 Scarsdale Antiques. And uh, everybody was so into it because back in the 70s, the parents were all in the running club. 
And yeah. so they had that nostalgia, but us kids weren't, you know, we, we weren't doing that. So you weren't an antique yet. So I was not an antique. I figured when I turned 57 years ago, I was like, I can, <laughs> I can finally uh, can get one of those shirts. So I made it myself and I think I had 10 friends that ended up buying shirts and uh, I got one from my dad who went to my high school and mm-hmm. it was just kind of a fun uh, way to look back and then. You're like, wow, I can wear that pretty proudly now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's 50. Is that sort of the criteria to become an antique? For, for guys, it was 50. And for women, it's 40. I don't know if they even maintain that these days. Okay. And you, you mentioned the origins of Natra came out, came out of that. In, in a way. In a way. Um, it, it really, you know, there was a club. It was all grassroots. I don't think anybody paid a dime to be part of it. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, Natra came out of... <laughs> sitting around after solstice 2001 and just a bunch of us saying we can do better if Imogene Pass can get uh, you know 200 Flagstaff runners how come solstice is only drawn 30 you know yeah. and I thought it was the greatest run I'd ever done Bill Ring and Shelley Welch were uh, organizing at that point and there was beer at the finish line and pretty good party as you were familiar with and yeah. uh, thought yeah, I think we can make this better. Yeah. <laughs> bigger. And, uh, you know, so we started an email list saying, well, let's run on Saturdays. Let's get people up on the course. And uh, that just, you know, blew up after that first first email list. Uh, and then I taught myself how to build web pages. Uh, and so then I created a pretty crappy web page. <laughs> and, uh, we had a runner, actually, that was a professional web designer. And, you know, this is 2001. And so... Uh, uh, Jeff ended up uh, making that website, making it really nice, which I can still find on uh, the Wayback Machine. Yeah. <laughs> but but I think the server, you know, the web server uh, went bankrupt uh, two years later. So then I went back to creating my own that I had for years. And then NAU actually uh, stepped in and one of their classes took on the latest website. And I said, yeah, run with it. So yeah. that was kind of a cool Cool way to very cool. You mentioned the uh, party after solstice, and for me, um, growing up, Christmas was always the thing I, lo- I looked forward to, and now it's the party after solstice. <laughs> yeah, uh, the, the the post race post race party. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now it's like an all day thing. It goes yeah. it leads into the next day almost. Yeah, and yeah. that's really become the fun of uh, that that event. It just uh, it's the event that keeps on giving, even though you know the run was an hour and a half, maybe. Yeah. Um, in your case, maybe an hour. <laughs> oh, definitely not. <laughs> definitely not. In my case, probably, three hours. Probably yeah. 35 um, minutes for Cody. 35, 40 not. minutes. But but the party goes on for five hours. And, you know, we raise a lot of money for Big Brothers, Big Sisters of Flagstaff uh, yeah. with the raffle and the party. And, and so it, it means a lot to me. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. You've had a profound effect on that. I wonder for our listeners if you could explain what is Solstice, the course itself, its connection to Big Brothers as well. Yeah, well, it, it's been a fundraiser for Big Brothers. Actually, a lot of that's uh, thanks to Jerry at Aspen Sports. Uh, he, uh, you know, he loves Solstice and has a, been a longtime sponsor. And, uh, you know, we just, uh, the post-race party was always Aspen Sports throwing prizes into the crowd. Yeah. And Jerry said, you know, Neil, we should really um, think about making this a fundraiser. Yeah. And when Jerry did that... Um, I said, that's a great idea. And next thing we know, you know, we're making just on the raffle $5,000 for the, you know, this great uh, community service uh, that yeah. provides mentors for kids. 
Um, and so, yeah, I think that was uh, such a brilliant move on, on Jerry's part. Yeah, that raffle is insane. Like you can walk away with sleeping bags, socks, <laughs> frisbees, sleeping pad mat or mattresses. Like it is amazing the stuff that gets given away. Oh, yeah, you know uh, they did such such a wonderful job uh, yeah. pulling that off, and you know, and I don't have to do anything. You know, and yeah. Jerry and his buddies, uh, you know, Waylon, they they do the whole raffle and. Uh, you know, or my, my buddy, David McKee is always, uh, strong arming people into buying more tickets and, <laughs> yeah. you know, people are so generous too. That's, that's one of the wonderful parts of, you know, the race. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, I was thinking about that. You were saying that you raised $5,000 for big brothers and that's just one rate. That's just the solstice, right? That's just solstice. That's just the raffle. There's solstice, the raffle. you know, a lot of people, yeah. if you want to guarantee your spot into solstice, you can take the Arizona tax credit for Big Brothers Big Sisters up mm. four to eight hundred dollars, and it's a line item right, right yeah. off your taxes. So there's like twenty five people. So we're right off the bat ten thousand dollars are uh, you know going towards that organization. And so the Arizona tax credit was something I never knew about. Yeah, and then you know uh, it's a remarkable. Uh, 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 credit that you get on the state taxes. Okay. So yeah, that's just from the raffle and then some of the entries, but then you also do other races that help benefit big brothers. Is that right? Well, the, the big brothers half marathon that's coming up in two weeks. And okay. this is my 20th year of directing that and solstice. And, um, you know, that, that race meant a lot to me because I, when I first moved to Flagstaff, it was one of the first races I was able to jump into. And then a couple of years later, my sister came out and we, we ran, I think it was the 89 version of it, when it was at Fort Tuthill. Yeah. And that was always known for being running monsoons and mud and big puddles. Um, but it was a big lapper. I couldn't even tell you what the course was back then. And, uh, you know, I, I got to meet the board while I was doing this race every year. And, you know, I met Nat White through it, I think, and uh, just a bunch of other amazing runners in this town. But at the end of the race... Once I got to know the board, everybody would be like, you need a beer? And there was always a keg hidden somewhere. <laughs> and, you know, and, and so I was like, hey, this is a fun race. You know? <laughs> and um, I think one year they got in trouble for maybe being a little too boisterous. So they had to hide the keg under you know, some table with a sheet. And, uh, and then I was asked to step on. You know, if I'd be interested in helping out with the board, and I was really interested in being a big brother, mm -hmm. um, but they kind of strong armed me into, you know, helping organize the race a little bit better. And then we actually had to move it uh, in 2002. 2001 was the last year at Fort Tuthill. Um, and then we moved it downtown because Fort Tuthill was having a big master mm -hmm. plan renovation mm -hmm. and know if we were going to get the permit. We didn't want to redesign the course. So let's say we said, let's just move it entirely downtown and up onto observatory mesa and uh you know that's what i was doing this morning was uh checking out the mud yeah you <laughs> which, which it's notorious for yeah <laughs> yeah and we've had good rains to provide it this year you mentioned uh, on your way in you just crushed 16 miles <laughs> up there checking it out yeah it's a funny story because uh you know natra um northern arizona trail runners association we used to you know, we had a reputation early on of, uh, you know, going 12, 15 miles. And, you know, we, we were just taking our time and enjoying and, you know, finding a nice route. Um, 
But as I got older, I didn't have, <laughs> I, I wasn't staying in shape. And so uh, we dropped that from five to eight miles and we started seeing the group grow, mm-hmm. um, which was really nice. But then uh, more recently, uh, after I retired and I started picking up my mileage, I thought, you know, I really like running early in the morning. And we more, sort of compromised to run at 8 a.m. Uh, to kind of meet people mm-hmm. halfway. Mm-hmm. And then I thought, boy, after the pandemic, the this group size like nearly tripled, you know, where we were oh, having wow. 14 runners. Now suddenly we're having 30 and 40 runners. Oh, wow. wow. And I thought, well, that's a lot of people. And uh, a bunch of them were longer distance runners. Mm-hmm. And I thought, yeah, how about a first group at 630 and a second group at eight? Yeah. And that's been really <clears throat> popular. So now I'm being able to do, you know, uh, two five to eight mile runs. Um, and just as long as I'm back by for eight o'clock. So we do the hour and a half run, whatever that nets us. And then mm-hmm. uh, we go back on the eight o'clock and do it again and do something different. So it's been a nice way of uh, getting my miles in. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, it's so cool to listen to you. You, you kind of just pay attention to like the way something's moving and then you and then you latch onto that and adapt like you just mentioned here i also noticed there's a strong theme in your in your race directorship in that if you can focus on the after party it makes it makes <laughs> yeah. the involvement yeah. in the race better yeah. and you know i always uh, you know I'm, i i leave myself open to uh folks uh sharing their ideas with me and uh that's usually at the post-race post-race party solstice <laughs> nights at the round table where i'm told what i can do better next year and uh sometimes i say yes and sometimes i say thank you for your ideas it will be yeah. taken up by the board and, and you're not welcome to the after after party next year <laughs> careful how it gets phrased yeah <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm just wondering how you could even make it better. Like, what kinds of suggestions do they make? How oh, do- you know, it, all sorts of goofy stuff that yeah. I can't even remember because I don't listen to one of them. <laughs> so, the I'm a guy party. that likes to keep things that yeah. work, keep them uh, going the way they go. Yeah. And, uh, so, yeah, it's... Uh, pretty much been a cookbook for the last you know every now and then we think oh let's have some live music and we talk about getting somebody out there and that would be nice but you know you never know with the weather and you know that's i mean every other year we have you know pretty adverse weather (laughs) so Mm -hmm. that becomes the focus of just getting off the mountain (laughs) for sure for sure i was thinking with solstice too like it's such a unique run in a lot of ways is it seems like a celebration of the end of the year almost right and then um like i remember i can't remember what year this was but didn't a couple get married during oh yeah we've had so many you know like special (laughs) moments but uh yeah, we had two of our, we had a couple, uh, actually Terrence wasn't even a runner, but Sabrina was. Okay. Um, and so he agreed to do the 10K and they ran in these cute, you know, uh, bride and, and bride, you know. Or, yeah, he had like a bride shirt. Yeah. And uh, it, it was, uh, you know, he had a groom's shirt on. It, it was uh, just a, an amazing event. And we had uh, Judge Moran married them, even though he was, uh, not feeling well that day, um, as I just actually found out he'd had a migraine headache. And uh, oh yeah, he was. Uh, <clears throat> but he he did an amazing job with that. And uh, uh, yeah, there's just been a lot of different moments. Big Brothers, we've actually had uh, we've had a wedding as well. 
Um, so it's pretty neat to see how people really connect with these events and yeah. and uh, want to be part of it. I mean, how many couples, I, I I can't tell you how many couples met through Natura and, or uh, Solstice or had their first date at Solstice. Um, you know, it, it's um, it, it makes it that much more special. Yeah, for sure. We, you know, I met Megan Gavin through Solstice. Like, I imagine that that's a very true kind of thing is that... Um, people meet at these events that you're hosting that you, that you, that you basically put on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, you know, we have hundreds of people, uh, at these events, so many who have so many things in common. And then, you know, if you're in a run and you say you run up to next to somebody, the next thing you know, you have a running partner for life, Yeah, which is what's happened to me several times with several of my long time running partners like Dr. Mark James, uh, who was a naturopath for a long time and, uh, ultra runner. And, uh, you know, that, that becomes a pretty sacred relationship. Yeah. Ah, for sure. I was wondering also, what do you think explains how much natura has grown since the pandemic? I, I think it's, you know, basically, uh, there's a lot of new folks coming to town for all the same reasons that a lot of us came here. Hmm. Um, you know, the great outdoors and, and the access to the forest. And so suddenly kind of a, almost a year and a half hiatus, um, you know, there's a lot of new people in town and they're hungry to meet other people. But during the pandemic, you really couldn't do that. Yeah. And, uh, and so uh, the, the minute we opened it up, it just, uh, the flood, it was like the floodgates had opened. Yeah. I'd be curious if you'd be willing to kind of talk about, you mentioned early on that the, how the town has changed since you came here. Yeah. Could you list or describe in some ways what you've observed and how it's changed? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, it was, it was pretty small back then, under mm-hmm. 30,000. Um, you know, it's grown exponentially. Obviously, we're pushing 80,000. I think we're over that now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and it was sort of this edgy, you know, town when I first got here, I love that about it. And, uh, there were, but the changes I, you know, I think in the early nineties, we started to see, you know, Flagstaff sort of got put on the map. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course, I think, you know, once the age of the internet came about, uh, you know, you just hearing about all the, you know, incredible places and the natural environment that we get to live in. Uh, you know, I think it's just, a, it's become this incredible destination itself. It's not just, you don't just go to the Grand Canyon, you go to Flagstaff. And, you know, with the growth, I mean, the growth of the university has come and, um, you know, we're, we're seeing all this infilling, uh, which, you know, I, I think uh, comes with its pros and its cons. Uh, infilling, you know, I think that's, I'd rather see an infill than get pushed out. But, you know, it's... Uh, so that you know that's that's changed a lot a lot more traffic but yeah i I don't complain about that too much anymore since i don't drive to williams and back (laughs) um so i just you know i love it being living on the south side like we were talking about earlier yeah um i just you know i just hop on the arizona trail and say see you later honey well (laughs) i'll let you know when i'm back (laughs) yeah yeah, yeah. oh no doubt you know earlier you mentioned it's one of those things that might have brought a lot of people to flagstaff is access to the natural world it sounded like in your job you that was kind of what you did yeah yeah so i mean that was uh i mean i worked uh after my days in the museum and living at the base of the mountain uh 
I did land a job with the Coconino National Forest and do an archaeological survey, uh, looking for you know Native American remnants of Native American sites that are out in the forest, and it was a great job. I mean, I got to walk you know ten miles a day, um, see some amazing places, and then uh, I, I got a promotion to the Kaibab National Forest in Williams and continued to do that for the next thirty years, wow. um, and I uh, got to explore you know some amazing places on the North Kaibab mm-hmm. and on the South Kaibab and. Uh, you know, I just fell in love with that. Rarely ever went in that little crack in between the two. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just fell in love with the forest and, and yeah. I always felt like, wow, we surround the Grand Canyon. Well, actually, the Grand Canyon was the whole <laughs> national forest before it was park service. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, yeah, that's what really where I found my love for federal lands and, uh, you know, just the fact that you can go out in the forest and run forever and it's like big backyard you know Mm -hmm. we're very lucky yeah oh absolutely you know i was out at keyhole sink for mother's day a couple (laughs) couple few months ago and there's you know there's that box there and there's a a paper that was written by neil weintraub i think oh there's a few things out there we created a brochure um and then there is a uh uh, we, we created, um, I had one of my interns actually created that, the, the book that you saw okay. that has yeah. a couple articles that I've written for the paper, probably about Keyhole Sink, a very special place. Yeah. It seems like there's a few that come to my mind. I was thinking, uh, like, I don't know if this is the right word, but restoration or something to yeah, that effect. Yeah. But, no, it talks about the, that, okay. that's the big thing. It, um, you know, that we try and interpret a keyhole sink is the forest, the forest history. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, the vandalism that occurred on the site. Where mm. We had to, you know, restore the integrity of the site by removing the graffiti. Yeah. And so for our listeners, can you tell us a little bit about keyhole sink, where it is? Oh, what yeah. Exactly yeah. Did? I mean, yeah. it's 20 minutes west of Flagstaff on historic Route 66 between Parks and Pittman Valley or... You know, if you know the deer farm, that's, yeah. that's where uh, <laughs> the deer farm exit is. I think that's actually what it's called. Um, and it's right on 66. There's a little parking lot. It's called the Oak Hill Snow Play Area, uh, which has been there since 1938, I think. As a, okay. uh, It was actually a little ski hill. And you park there, um, and then you just cross Route 66. You go to the north, and there's the trailhead for... Keyhole Sink, and it's a nice six-tenths of a mile walk down to uh, see the petroglyphs, and maybe today the waterfall, yeah, <laughs> the Brigadoon yeah. waterfall that I like to talk about. Yeah, ah, oh, so neat. And so that was one of the places that sounded like you had a lot of involvement with. Yeah, and it's it's in the Kaibab. Um, it's yeah. one of our premier uh, public in, uh, sites that you can go visit uh, Native American petroglyphs and and learn about the history and prehistory of the area. Um, at no cost, uh, you know, it's just open 24 hours a day, seven yeah. days a week. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you learn a lot by, uh, walking through the forest. Yeah. I was going to say what, what struck your interest? So you mentioned, um, I don't know if you chose to go into anthropology right away or if you took a class. <laughs> Would you read, you read my story? <laughs> no, it's, uh, I was a math major. <laughs> Were you? Yeah. I thought I was going to teach math. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. uh. And I love numbers, uh, statistics, and um, but I took a class that I wasn't doing very well in my junior year, and I was going to have to retake it and wait two years for it. And that timeline didn't work. Uh, and I had taken anthropology classes; uh, just I always found them interesting. And uh, 
but I was behind in my credits, and that's actually how I ended up out in Flagstaff. Was my professor said, Neil, you need four credits to graduate next year. Um, <laughs> how would you like to come to Flagstaff? And I, you know, I, I would have had a summer job as a counselor, uh, but I ended up saying, yeah, that sounds pretty. It sounds dope. <laughs> <I guess. laughs> as the kids say, that's, that's what kids yeah. say now. Uh, <laughs> So, uh, yeah, that's what actually I needed those four credits. So I spent the summer here uh, and, you know, basically never looked back. Life changing. Yeah. Something just popped up. You went with it. Wow. I I didn't want when I was at the museum, I did not want to apply for the Forest Service job because I I was living on the museum grounds. I had all the great trails. I, Hmm. you know, walked to work. It was like 50 yards from my chicken coop to the. (laughs) <laughs> to the research center, and uh, I, I thought I, I I thought I was in heaven. You yeah. Know? And uh, my friend Laura at the museum said, "Oh, Neil, we got to apply for these jobs. We could, you know, it's a it's a federal job, and there's benefits." And I, I didn't know what any of that meant, <laughs> but but I applied for it, and we ended up getting the, the jobs and. That was sort of the beginning of the Forest Service career. Yeah, so you went fit from living, basically working 50 yards from where you were sleeping, if I heard you right, to uh, then yeah. were you commuting 30 miles to Williams every day? Uh, well, uh, the transition went to Flagstaff first. Okay. Um, so I was able to stay at the Coops, but then okay. uh, as uh, my life was changing quickly, uh, and I was no longer, I didn't have the time to volunteer at the museum, so it was time to find an apartment. And uh Luckily, I found one at the end of North San Francisco, where I lived for seven years, right at the, you know, base of Buffalo Park. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and before the Lock of Trust land got split up, you had that whole valley behind the Elks Lodge to, yeah. to go right up to Schultz Creek in mm-hmm. my old neighborhood. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's cool. I was wondering, just again, part of your work with Kaibab, what were some of the other projects that you worked on, um, big restoration projects, anything like that? Well, you know, you know you've heard a lot about the Forest, Forest Restoration Initiative, and, and that's what uh, we've been working on for uh, probably the past, more than the past decade, okay. uh, doing archaeological surveys within that footprint and, uh, you know, working on fires and uh, being part of uh, that whole restoration process. And, and we, we've seen some amazing results on the forest, uh, especially since the Kaibab was, it is the driest forest in the nation. Um, And so uh, a lot of uh, the restoration work that's been done around Springs, many uh, often very close collaboration with our local tribes and everything. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, we've actually seen water coming back and higher water, which is just, you know, it's, there's your reason for doing one of the great reasons for doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very what cool. changes were implemented to allow for some of that return of the water? Well, a lot of the thinning, uh, you know, I think it's been a lot of the thinning um, that's taken place with the removing of the trees. Um, that's had a huge impact, I think, on some of those places. Mm-hmm. Very cool. You know, I was wondering also, Sue, with your work on Kaibab, I was wondering, I have some memories of hanging out with you at Whole Cabin. Uh, during, oh, yeah. During the stagecoach. Stagecoach. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, there are some, uh, many special places for me on the forest and, yeah. and Whole Cabin is, is one of them. Um, uh, that's where we actually hosted a lot of our volunteer projects. They're called Passport and Time Projects. And okay. so we take... 
20 volunteers and spend the week doing archaeological survey or documentation um, all over the south side of the Grand Canyon, uh, just in the forest and yeah. uh, the great cultural history there. And so the volunteers and I would, uh, we'd all cook together, kind of river, river trip style for, yeah. uh, for a week at a time. And, uh, you know, everybody got really close and that cabin has some, uh, really amazing memories and, and the forest uh, did a lot of work in the uh, in 2010 to actually uh, bring that into the cabin rental program mm-hmm. and uh, so kind of highlighted that as uh, you know, a place and people can stay in this oldest the oldest cabin on the south side of the Grand Canyon that was built in 1884 yeah and where is it close to Grandview Tower where is it again yeah yeah it's, it's actually just northeast of Grandview Tower Probably okay. half miles the crow flies, but as the stagecoach runners find out, yeah. uh, they have to go downhill to oh. get the whole cabin yeah. at mile 80, and then at mile 80 to 82, it's back uphill. <laughs> yeah, that, that stretch, I ran that last leg from whole cabin to uh, to the IMAX, I guess, or in, in Tucson, right? And I remember just starting out running up that hill, like, <laughs> I couldn't imagine doing that at eight, mile 82. It's hard enough to drive up that hill yeah, in a car. Exactly. <laughs> it's like a death march. Yeah. Yeah. The whole cabin, like you were saying, so people could go on and, uh, to the, to the internet, they could reserve, you could yeah. stay there. Right? right Right now. It's not, I think it's only open for uh, weekend reservations okay. um, as a result of COVID uh, and you know, the amount of time that we, the forest can get in there and clean it properly. So, okay. um, but yeah, you know, it's an amazing, uh, it was built by Philip and William Hull, uh, the Hull brothers, who also cool. had a ranch at uh, East Cedar, where we have the oh, uh, yeah. aid station. The, I think that's where they finish up the Stagecoach 55K. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, there's just a wonderful history of these sheep herders that live pretty close to the Grand Canyon. And uh, we're in cahoots with uh, Hans, John Hans, who had his cabin just a little further up the valley mm. from there is closer to the canyon and a wonderful history at that place yeah and you could access is it old hans or new hans trail from there just you, yeah you could actually to... walk you know if you wanted to do a day hike a long day hike from the cabin if you were running it you could just probably yeah. i don't know it's probably a 20 minute walk over to the new hans trail yeah yeah and uh, i guess my for me the thing i'll remember most about whole cabin is the tomato soup <laughs> yeah, I pride myself on uh, making that tomato soup. <laughs> you get there, it's freezing. Yeah, and then it just you open the door, you walk in, it's just this nice aroma tomato soup. That and the cheese quesadillas. And the cheese quesadillas, and, uh, yeah. Uh, you know, the first year we did it, it was in October, and I, uh, Kathleen O'Neill and I were at uh, the Mogi Aid Station. Mm. That was because I we actually had a relay team that year, and I had run the first. Uh, I think or the second 17 mile segment uh, uh i think from uh, from kelly tank down to the, the babbitt ranch yeah East cedar and uh i had to i had agreed to volunteer so my team drove me to moki and uh i spent the night freezing and all the the coke that all froze it was like <laughs> it, it wasn't even a slushy um, yeah and then we moved, bumped the race up to uh, September. So too many issues. But in whole cabin, I don't yeah. have to worry about that. Yeah, yeah, that really <laughs> That's is the one protected place on the stagecoach uh, race. Yeah, yeah, it is like a reprieve for sure. And at mile eighty, you need it. You yeah, know? I mean that's uh, 
you got to have that protection. So, yeah, very cool. The one other place I was going to ask about that, I might be wrong, but I was thinking that you had a pretty big hand in, uh, the restoration or what happened at picture Canyon. Oh yeah. Well, uh, you know, picture Canyon was, uh, an, an amazing story. I mean, that, that was actually one of the first places that I visited in Flagstaff. I was, uh, or, I was, um, working for the education department at the museum in Northern Arizona. And I was sort of in charge of the Elden Pueblo camp. Um, it was fifth and sixth graders. And as it turned out, a funny story, because as it turns out, one of our, uh, beloved Solstice runners, uh, James Willis was actually a camp, one of the, the campers that was part of the archeological, uh, class yeah and back uh, in the back in the 80s so that back in the 80s so i have all these pictures yeah and i said because james one day said you're an archaeologist and i was like yeah i mean this was probably five or six years ago and he said oh man my my you know my mom used to send me the elden pueblo camp i said when were you in the elden pueblo camp and and he goes oh i was 13 or 14 86 or 87 and i'm doing the numbers and i'm like that's when I was there. And I pulled out my old photos that I took, my old Kodachrome photos, yeah. and, uh, you know, put, put them in the scanner and opened them up. And I emailed James, and sure uh, enough, he's like, yeah, that's my favorite red baseball cap with the C on it. And I've got <laughs> pictures of him, you know, and, and us together. I mean, just remarkable. Wow. And, uh, you know, for a while, I think one of the first big stories Daily Sun did was... Uh, 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 they did an article on James running solstice in probably 2003 or something like that. Yeah. Wow. wow. Yeah. yeah. Small world. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. And so with Picture Canyon back then, you would go out there, you'd take yeah. this group out so, there. Yeah. That's a, so we took the, I have pictures of James on one of the first trips. When I was at the museum, I had mm-hmm. heard about Picture Canyon uh, because the, the founder of the museum, uh, Dr. Harold Colton, he he found that and was a record in the files and, and Don Weaver, who was the curator at the museum in Northern Arizona, uh, he had just done some research and a publication on picture Canyon rock art of the area. And I said, where's that? And so I said, Oh, this would be a great place to bring the fifth graders. And so we did in the afternoon. And that was the first time I saw it, got my first pictures, uh, that I took old cold Chrome. And, uh, um, and, and today, uh, in, in 2005, uh, David McKee, um, who is working for the sewer, the wastewater treatment plant there at the head of the canyon, said to me, hey, Neil, what do you know about Picture Canyon? And I said, let's go for a run. And, you know, he took me on one of his runs around Picture Canyon. And, uh, you know, there was all the trash there from years mm-hmm. and years of dumping and vehicles mired in the canyon. And uh, David... Uh, he, he came up with a plan. He hatched a kind of a plan to get it cleaned up, and we had to make a difference day that Natra sponsored, and and that really sort of spearheaded a, a big movement. It got people out, saw what was there, and the next thing we know, this Picture Canyon Working Group uh, got founded, and the county jumped on board, and the city jumped on board. It's one of the great uh, conservation stories of, uh, you know, the 2000s really mm-hmm. what would you do for that make a difference day what how did that get things jump started uh the city you know has these make a difference days uh they've been doing it for a long time and mm-hmm. and david mckee uh got involved with that and you know said 
Neil, you know, what can we do uh, from the natural side? I said, well, we can certainly buy the food for everybody. You know, everybody likes food. And I, I think she, I don't know if Fratelli's catered it. Um, Here we are at the after party. The I was going to say, was there a keg we're hidden under a sheet somewhere? Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. right. So, um, yeah, so I don't know. We probably had 60 or 70 people that came out for that Make a Difference Day. And mm-hmm. so people got to see Picture Canyon and... Mm-hmm. Uh, it just uh, kind of fed fed off the, the partnerships that came out of that. I mean, it's hard to be as a who didn't have a hand in picture. Hmm. <laughs> well, in Arizona trail goes through there, right? Uh-huh. Another We're, partner. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, the other trails around there, it seemed like there were some new trails that were created. Was Is that true? Yeah. So there's the Don Weaver trail yeah. and uh, there's a couple other trails that uh, honor folks from Flagstaff. Okay. That played a role in, in helping preserve that special place. Yeah, it's pretty amazing the work y'all have done over there. It, it looks great. It, yeah, everything about it is it is really dialed in, it seems to me. Oh, yeah. And we love going and uh, running, you know, taking the running group there from usually from uh, Sandy Seep Trailhead. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's such a that's such a fun run. You just go straight down and then straight back up to Sandy Seepa. Yeah, not so yeah. much the the return, <laughs> the return. run. It's always uh, yeah. like, where is that last turn? Where's the tunnel? Where's the tunnel? It yeah. never gets there. <laughs> For sure. I was wondering just to go back to um, I would have been in those class in the, in the early '90s. I would have been in those Elton Pueblo. <laughs> in there, I would wonder were you still doing it at that point? Too? No, I no? just okay. I did an '86, '87, and then when I got my job. Uh, at the Forest Service, I yeah, I, I had other duties that okay. were assigned to me, but uh, yeah, nope, that, that would have been f- pretty funny. Yeah, maybe, maybe maybe I'm hanging out one of Neil's photos somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Every, almost everybody's in some of Neil's photos. Yeah, yeah you might. <laughs> You're gonna make him go have to dig it up and then scan it and do all that yeah, legwork. <laughs> yeah. But I know people that I have pictures of you. <laughs> now I'm after them. <laughs> Around that time, yeah. yeah. Oh, that'd be interesting to see. Um, to go back to, to running just for a second, too. So Picture Canyon, that sort of thing. I remember, I can't remember if it was on Facebook or maybe Strava, but you were involved in the Cocodona. Um, <laughs> yeah. Cocodona is it 200 or 250 or something? Yeah. And actually this uh, podcast is getting in the way of me tracking Dawn again. Uh, Dawn Greenwald, she's running... Uh, the Ure 100 right now. Oh, wow. And okay. I think she's probably about mile 75 or 80. Um, she was running in third place, but yeah, no, I, uh, I got to participate as a, as a, a pacer at Cocodona 250 and, uh, had just, should really should be Cocodona 257. Um, <laughs> you know, they, they surprised the runners a yeah. little way into the race and said, Oh, it's no longer 250 miles. It's 257 miles. <laughs> I, I think Don would tell you those last seven miles were the toughest seven miles. Oh, I, I, I heard that that first day, too, with the heat. So not with the mileage, but with oh, the yeah. heat. I yeah. heard that the maybe they learned some lessons this year that they'll apply next year about it all. Yeah, well, I think, uh, you know, the runners were had a very, <laughs> a very ambitious, the lead runners definitely, uh, things quickly fell behind uh, pace and... Uh, I think they were six, seven hours behind pace by the time. So that was the interesting part of being a pacer because our team, which was just great, we called ours, I think it was the Team Green. Um, and 
we just were adapting left and right because people hadn't worked, they had to go off, and with the big disparity in the timing of everything being six, seven hours behind, we all sort of had to shift places. And um, but it was it was one of the most fun events, most best organized things I've ever seen. Considering that was the first year, mm-hmm. um, the logistics behind God knows how many land managers and private mm-hmm. lands, and mm-hmm. um, it was. Uh, treat to be part of that yeah did air viper host that one yeah it was an air viper race and we were just having a great time with their tracking app which worked to a t for us and even when we had questions in the middle of the night where are we going we're on the track (laughs) we're on the trail i think we're going in the right direction you know i can imagine what that would be like the first year putting that all together as well and like you're saying it seems like it came off like a really great success i remember watching you on facebook whatever it was and just seemed like you're having a blast oh yeah we were all having a blast and the logistics just the planning all you know worked out um despite having to adapt every every few hours but with the tracking app you know and so that's what i was doing first thing this morning and you know seeing how's dawn doing it was a flashback to two months ago when we all sort of had to follow it so that we could time getting to Mm -hmm. the aid stations and doing the handoffs Mm -hmm. but compared to when i i i pasted leadville twice for mark james and uh that was in the days pre-internet, pre-satellites, yeah. you, know, or, you know, or GPS. Uh, you know, you just went out there and did your thing, and you guessed when you should be at the right place. And uh, um, I think we had cell phones by then in the '90s, early late '90s. Um, and uh, you know, you can maybe get a signal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did you ever miss a checkpoint no. or miss? No, it? no. Did you just have to go early and hang out. You go early and hang out. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. Have different, a party. Yeah, different different times now with uh, all this fancy GPS yeah. equipment and yeah. tracking equipment. But yeah. it, it makes it more accessible to so many more people. Mm. There are thousands of people that were following. Um, in fact, you know, you can see the number of people online following the year A 100. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's really, you know, I think that's what's really helping grow the sport. Mm-hmm. You mentioned uh, coming in that you're actually running more mileage than ever, yeah. and in part because of what you're talking about, what using Strava, going yeah. out and running, get, grabbing those segments. Yeah, the, the segments are a great way of doing fart licks. And, you know, right now I just, you know, people keep saying, you're going to do stagecoach, you're going to do what you, what you race. And I just, I have no goal. I just know that I'm feeling good and you know, I'm having time to do what I've always loved doing, but I haven't had the time. So, mm-hmm. Um, you know, but the whole Strava thing is really, uh, you know, it's like I can compete against myself. I compete against others, but I don't have to necessarily step to the line on race day with all the planning I used to do for marathons (laughs) and other races. You know, there's just, there's no stress in it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It sounds like you're doing new things with your running currently being in retirement that you hadn't done previously. Right. I I mean, I dreamed of doing stuff like this. Um, But even, you know, when I went into trying to break a three-hour marathon, qualify for Boston, Mm. um, you know, I mean, I might have been doing 40 40 miles a week and one long run. You know, you just did exactly what you had to do to do that because you had a full-time job. Yeah. Um, But now that I've, you know, even though (laughs) I'm busier than ever, I'm not, you know, everybody says, you know, your first year of retirement, you got to be careful. And I wasn't careful. And 
you know, it just, life got busy. And I was like, uh, how did I ever do that job? How did I ever drive, you know, the 600,000 miles I drove to Williams and back for 30, yeah. 30 years? I, you know, I like throw in the commuting time. When I took away the commuting time, it's like, there it is. Now you got time you know, to run. Now I got time to run. Yeah. 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 What's it been like going through uh, that change, that adjustment to being retired? What's it? Yeah, what's it's, been the tra- a, it's been a tougher. I mean, I was told to not do what I started doing, which yeah. was, you know, people ask me to do things. And I'm like, sure, sure, yeah. sure. The next thing I look, my calendar's got four or five appointments on it yeah. in one day. And, you know, my wife, Diana, was like, uh, you might want to. <laughs> slow down you know yeah. and, and then i i uh so i've actually taken a big step back and said okay i'm gonna try to get one thing done a day mm-hmm. you know okay and um and then making sure that i get out the door first thing and uh, get my mental <laughs> and get my head taken care of on the on the roads or on the trails mm-hmm. yeah i was gonna say it doesn't sound like very sedentary uh retirement there initially just uh, got right into it. it sounds like you're doing a lot of work in a lot of important ways but it was taking up time yeah and i'm still staying connected to the forest i I, I organize uh, the, the Arizona Site Stewards Program and the Regional Quarter for, Coordinator for the Williams, Tucson, and Flagstaff area. So it's about 60 volunteers that I communicate with. In fact, that's what I'm going to right after this. I've got a Zoom call with uh, everybody, um, end of the month call. And so um, that's a way to, uh, I'm staying connected with mm-hmm. uh, the cultural resource side of things and, mm-hmm. and the professional community and, mm-hmm. and trying to protect places like Picture Canyon. So mm-hmm. uh, that's probably where most of our volunteers spend their time keeping an eye on things and cleaning up trash that's out there. Yeah, and still very actively involved in race directing, it sounds yeah. like. And it's still the race directing, yeah. which uh, has been more challenging than ever with the uh, mix of virtual and regular and getting back the anxiety of getting back to in-person races with the delta variant now yeah you know coming into play and so yeah it's it's been (laughs) more work than i thought it would Mm -hmm, be for sure Mm -hmm. can you speak to that transition going from race directing into the kind of the virtual race directing and sort of what that transition is like now like you're saying yeah well you know we we sort of did a virtual event you may have remembered it um natura did this uh, my buddy, co-worker, Mike Linden, uh, we were driving to the North Kaibab one day and the Mayan apocalypse was coming up like, in, you know, in a few weeks. And Mike thought, oh, it'd be really funny to make a anthropology shirt with our, you know, for our archaeology community and our anthropology community. And uh, we started kicking some ideas back and forth. I said, well, if you really want to sell those, we could just make a Facebook post and tell people to go to your website and sell these shirts. <laughs> just simple. <laughs> simple, yeah. simple. Simple. And the next thing we knew, we created the Mayan Apocalypse 5K Run Anywhere, and we told yeah. people to show up in Buffalo Park. And, you know, we had, I forget how many people were up there, but we had a pretty big crowd, and it was like a snowy, frozen tundra up there from yeah. a blizzard. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so that was a riot. So that was sort of... You know, we, we ended up having selling several hundred shirts worldwide to friends of friends of friends that heard about this, thought it was cool. And uh, 
And we had a great time with that. So mm-hmm. that was sort of, I got a taste for it. So mm-hmm. when we had the switch last year to all the virtual races, um, you know, it it became kind of a, I started getting creative with some ideas about, you know, these are easy enough to put together online and you don't necessarily have to charge for them. You know, with the fundraisers, obviously we do, but for these other events, you know, we did a Buffalo Park Challenge uh, mm-hmm. when the forest closed and told people, hey, sign up for free and let's see who can do the most laps. So that was a challenge. It was all about me. I mean, I just wanted to have some fun up in Buffalo Park and see how many laps I could do. Um, you know, and, and given that I've had a little extra time to do that, I, oh, that would be fun. And then I got the Boy Scout Troop 31. I saw them working in Buffalo Park and I said, hey, you know, I've got this thing going. And so the group leader would uh, sum their daily hikes in there. It, and it's all free, but it, you know, it connects people, like you were mm-hmm. talking about. It gets gets people out the door. Well, yeah, that's what's remarkable listening to you. Cody, uh, you were talking about, you mentioned that we'd be interviewing Neil to your dad today. Mm-hmm. And what was it that your dad said? Yeah, I had <laughs> coffee with my dad this morning, and we were hanging out, and he was saying, he's like, man, Neil, you know, he really is the personification of the golden rule was his exact words. Yeah. I remember, I think I got to remember what he said there. He was speaking to how much, like, you just give, how connective you are in that way. And, that, and the, another word I remember him using was that what he sees with you is like an abundant life as a result. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll talk about somebody with an abundant life. Uh, you know, <laughs> I mean, there's all these role models, your dad being one of them, that sure. I get to run with and get to hear their stories and the amazing things that your dad does. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it's inspiring um, you know, I mean, I've always said it, one of my role models here, uh, aside from the first guy that founded the Scarsdale Antiques, Abe Simon, um, uh, Nat White, you know, he was putting on all the Flagstaff Road and Track Club races when I got here and I would jump in those races and I loved them, you know, I, and I loved this. It was a very small community. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, you could, you know, much like today, you, you know, you know how you did at a race, depending on how far you finished behind somebody, mm-hmm. you know, were you on their heels, were you, you know, mm-hmm. drainage behind, uh, you know, um, but in that case, it was always, uh, Grace White, mm-hmm. uh, Nat's daughter who ran for NAU. Was, if I saw her two or 300 yards ahead, I was pretty happy. Yeah. You're doing good. I was doing pretty good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, you can always find runners like that out here, but your response, I think, um, sitting with you epitomizes kind of a way you respond. You, you turn the attention back to Cody's dad or not oh. white. <laughs> and, uh, you have this humility that, you know, a minute ago when you said, yeah, you just put the shirt on Facebook and then it'll go up. I, I don't think, <laughs> I think you have this uh, humility that leads to um, a limitation in you seeing that people are drawn to you because of what you've put out there so consistently. So you draw these crowds based on that personification of the golden rule that Cody's dad's talking about. And I think people are drawn to you. You I I hear, since I've lived here, I've heard about Natronil. Natronil. (laughs) Natronil. It's just an email name. (laughs) But no, it's, um, you know, I I think it's it's Flagstaff, though. You know, it's uh, so many of us have so many things in common, uh, certainly running that ties us all together. But then, Mm -hmm. you know, you're going to drink a beer, you're going to drink some coffee with that person and Mm -hmm. you're going to find you have a lot more in common or 
uh, you'll, you'll, you'll find amazing stories and amazing things that people do. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, I've always, uh, that's always been a source of the pride of, of being part of this. It's, it was a community effort. Everything mm-hmm. is a community effort. I mm-hmm. mean, you can say, oh, you're doing all this stuff, but the energy of it comes from just what you're talking about mm-hmm. is, um, you know, kind of putting those connections together and, mm-hmm. and, uh, just getting people to, you know, love where they live and love the people that surround them. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, a, I don't know, there's something very Zen about, <laughs> yeah. about seeing those, you know, people connected in, 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 in the mo- any moment, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And not that you do for this, right? Like, it seems like, just like Dan's saying, is you become naturally recognized through what you're doing was it 2016 or 17 you were recognized as the Arizona Daily Sun right. Citizen of the right. Year? Citizen of the Year. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that was, yeah, uh, that, I don't know where that, uh, there were <laughs> a couple friends that put it together and I haven't been able to, you know, figure out exactly who it was. So yeah. there hasn't been any retribution yet. <laughs> and there's no part of you that can accept that it was a valid, a valid <laughs> award. Give yeah, you a nomination, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was, it was, uh, very, I mean, when you get to be part of this group of citizens of the year, um, you know, and you see everything that these people have done, uh, it's yeah. like, all I did was start a damn running group. <laughs> uh, <laughs> There's a few other things, but, yeah, but yeah, it's, uh, yeah. you know, it, it's inspiring to, um, see what, you know, a lot of these longtime citizens uh, mm-hmm. that are so connected to Flagstaff. I mean, I feel I've been here for 35 years mm-hmm. now, so, you know, I feel yeah. like I've got a stake in the community. Yeah, yeah. part of the fabric. Uh, but, yeah, but there are people that have part of this fabric long, much longer mm-hmm. than I have been. Mm-hmm. For sure. Well, yeah, I mean, again, you've had a profound effect in your work, it seems like, in the local community here. Into one way that Dan and I have closed our podcast is we really like to try to dig into your connection to the town and understand your connection to the town. And I'd be curious how you would describe your relationship with Flagstaff. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I've always, uh, I remember the first day on, on field school when we were driving out, we stopped uh, to go to the bathroom at the petrified forest, yeah. you know, and uh, stopped to look at some of the petrified trees. And, uh, and then Kathy and John pointed out in the distance to the West and I saw these mountains, which had just been, I think, in uh, at the end of May, I think graduation of 85, there was a big snowstorm. So the, the peaks had a ton of snow on them. And that is what pulled me in. And then that summer we were excavating in hot, dry conditions. It was 110 degrees out near Winona. Um, it was brutal, but we would all periodically go and head up into the mountains, have a snowball fight or something just to, you know, go up to snowball and, and, and cool off. Or uh, uh, at the time, our favorite watering hole was uh, the Silver Saddle Saloon, which now I think wow. is Timberline uh, yeah. Saloon or something like mm-hmm. that. But mm-hmm. uh, that was one of our favorite places to go. <laughs> go have cool, a drink. Go uh, cool off. The but, Silver Saddle Saloon. But uh, the first place we actually went was uh, the Mad Italian well, actually, oh, yeah. shaky, shaky Drakes, but it turned out Shaky Drakes was no longer a bar from what our professor remembered. It was Shaky Drakes, the strip joint. <laughs> <laughs> so we went, we went across the street to uh, the Mad Italian. Where, yeah. 
I would spend many of my early years in Flagstaff mm-hmm. meeting some really interesting people. Yeah, the uh, Mad Eye. That what is that now? That's on South San Francisco. Yeah, now it's the, the and now it's the mayor. The mayor the moved. Mayor. Everybody's yeah. kind of rotating plan. Yeah, <laughs> man, what a trip. Yeah, but yeah, I think that's the you know being rooted in Flagstaff. Uh, between the running and the forest and the archaeology, the history of this place, it's uh, pretty, you know, it all kind of comes together with mm-hmm. all the things that I mm-hmm. love to do. Well, thank you for allowing us to put one more agenda item on your retirement calendar. <laughs> I'm coming in. Yeah, stealing your attention yeah, from Greenwald. Yeah. yeah, sharing your time with us. And uh, yeah, sharing your approach to life. And it's a great role model. So I appreciate it. Thank you. Well, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, Neil, thank you so much. All right, we just said farewell to Natra Neil Weintraub. Natra Neil is no longer in Le Chateau. The Trees. The Aborescence? Aborescence? Yeah. Something like that. Something like that. Man, I know we only recorded about an hour with Neil, mm-hmm. but we spent a long time with Neil talking. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Neil's got stories for days. Oh, man. For me, it was just such a pleasure. Like hearing him talk about like Flagstaff and 85 and mm-hmm. all these things. Just. Mm-hmm. He has so much experience and just chock full mm-hmm. of uh, knowledge mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, connection to people in the place here. Yeah, but the highlight for you is the keg under the table. Oh, man. For me, I was like, there is kind of this mischievous aspect to trail running culture <laughs> in a way. You know, it's like, how are we going to get the keg to yeah, wherever we're yeah, going? Yeah. 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 Roadrunners would never do that. <laughs> trail runners, they're going to figure out a way. Yeah, it's kind of like yeah, craft beer first and then the run second for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. The, the focus is on how are we going to be able to consume beer after this run. Yes, exactly. And, uh, and then we'll get the run lined out. Yeah. Roadrunners. They're just focused on getting that run in. Just trying to get the clock, trying to compare themselves against the clock. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. That's what I love about the trail aspect. It's like, okay, let's get out in the mountains a little bit. Who cares what we're doing? But what's happened at that party? That's the thing. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) which right there, that jumps into the biggest theme that stuck out to me in sitting with Neil is, uh, man, I think, I, I don't even think, it was like he wasn't conscientious of it, but like, he built a connection or they did things before or after an event Mm -hmm. and then the events would take off. But like a lot of his focus was like, Hey, how can we get together as a group kind of before to organize this thing? And then how can we get together after to celebrate this thing? And I think that's where he gets all the momentum that he does. Like he gets things moving, like the projects that he completed, the reference to picture Canyon, but also just then race events. I think it comes from building in events that happen before and after the event. Yeah, truly. Like we were just talking now, right? And you're mm-hmm. saying the big brothers, big sisters, half marathon is really a three day event now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so and, and, and it's like, yeah. and when you say event, it's not like they're getting together. Like it doesn't sound like they get together at meetings and like hammer, hammer out to do lists. Yeah. Like it's like taking care of that stuff, but also, Hey, let's meet up. And grab some pizza and, and yeah, mingle, share stories, share jokes, have a good time. And then we'll get the race prep stuff going. For sure. Super connective aspect to him, right? Mm. Like I remember him talking about doing the Buffalo Park stuff and then he noticed like a Boy Scout troop or something was over and he just brought him in. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) Yeah, like what you guys do? Yeah. Yeah. Just reaching out to people. Yeah. Yeah. 
incredible. And it all circles back and comes back. People are willing to jump onto what Neil's doing because he's, he's so good at reaching out and sharing. For sure. And in that, you know, and I think I'm thinking back to my conversation with my old man where he was saying like, really what he does is he gives Mm -hmm. and like, he just gives so much. And like, I think what I hear you saying is he doesn't necessarily notice like maybe the return aspect that's associated with giving. Oh, it cracked me up when he's like, yeah, you just sell some t-shirts on Facebook and he doesn't realize like people will post things on Facebook. Like they'll sell a t-shirt on Facebook and not sell any. Yeah. It sells because your name's attached to it because <laughs> yeah. you've given so much. So much. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah what you've given you. is coming back. Right. Yeah. yeah Beyond Flag put some t shirts on Facebook. Yeah. We ain't selling a nothing. <laughs> yeah. 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 Especially if you use some of the special phonetic spelling Cody design skills. Oh, yeah. No one's going to want to walk around in the world with <laughs> something spelled phonetically on their yeah. shirt. Huh? Just like you're saying, though, like um, Neil has a special capacity or capability for bringing people together and it's funny like again you're saying like these events are bigger than the actual for instance running event Mm -hmm. if it's a race the event is much bigger and the part of that is really like the party aspect solstice (laughs) after party is like literally i was joking like feels like christmas i look forward to that you're gonna get a you're gonna get a hot dog and you're gonna get some beer and it's like it's amazing there's this raffle you got to watch out for socks hitting you in the face yeah, yeah, or frisbees yeah. or whatever like yeah. it's incredible what they yeah. put together show me show me a road race where they they serve hot dogs orange slices <laughs> and beer and beer for the after run <laughs> totally I, I gotta admit it doesn't sound yeah. like a great after run meal oh man that, I, that's, what I'm, that's what i'm saying like you get these boiled hot dogs right <laughs> And it's like, it's like uh, Thanksgiving dinner, man. Yeah, like, the appeal is the community is yeah, what you're saying. Exactly. There's like, something about the shared experience. Yeah. 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 Like the hot dog turns into a turkey dinner. Totally. Only because of the community. Because of the community. That's for sure. Yeah. And Neil, yeah, he like, he facilitates that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It really connects back to one of our values, right? Like just hearing Neil talk about his connection to work and connection to like the, um, uh, the restoration projects yeah. he was doing. It seems like he has a really special relationship to this area and then also the people within it. Oh yeah. Both natural world and the people. One reference to the people is like whenever he would talk about someone and this, this includes what we recorded and then yeah. talking to him before and after mm-hmm. like every anecdote includes five to 10 people that he references by first and last name yeah. and knows exactly who they are yeah. and just he has such a gratitude while sharing their name or talking mm-hmm. about these people. Yeah. He's so connected to others. Yeah. Yeah. It really is admirable. And in that, like, I don't know, it was just, I don't know how you felt sitting there in the interview. Right. But for me, it was just like fascinating. It felt really like almost like honored, like mm-hmm. to, to hear Neil tell these stories and mm-hmm. to kind of get a, get a sense of what it's like to maybe work alongside him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good times with Natra Neil. Natra Neil. What, what were those days like at uh, Shady Drake's, man? Shaky Drake's. Shaky Drake's, Shaky yeah. Shaky Drake's, man. <laughs> questions questions to be answered. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. We'll have to find out someday, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Why don't you take us out by shouting us out? No doubt. You can always find us on the interwebs, www.beyondflag.com, flag spelled. F-L-G. And same with the Insta-G and the Twitter feeds. You can find us there, beyond underscore flag. Yeah, just crushing them Twitter feeds. Crushing qu- qu- damn Twitter feeds. Crushing <laughs> them? them Twitter Tweety feeds. Tweety bird over there? Yeah. Tweety? Yeah. All right. Well, take care. Loveys. Love